Good morning, Journey. My name is Chris, and let me just say that it is an absolute privilege to be with all of you this morning. I'm very thankful and very excited for the opportunity to get to share with all of you today. Uh, Before we start diving in and digging into the book of Romans, which is what we'll be doing today, I thought it would be important for you to know some of what I believe up front. Now, this is something that that I share with, with my students pretty much week in and week out, and they might get kind of tired of it and think it's old. So I figured you guys don't hear me all the time so I could use it on you and you're gonna be like, wow, that's really fresh and insightful, Chris. So I'm I'm gonna give that to you. And so here's some of what I believe. I believe with everything in me that you and I are in this room on this particular day when we could be anywhere else. We're here for a reason. Like I believe with all of my heart that God has something just for you today. I believe that it's something that's, that's bigger and beyond anything that you could think up or ask for or accomplish on your own. And I believe that God wants all of you right now in this moment. And I think it's just so incredibly wonderful that, that the God of the universe actually wants to communicate with each one of us. And so my prayer leading up to today has been that that would be true, that we would open up our hearts to what God might actually have for us today. So before we dive in, let's pray that that God might move in our lives together. Uh, God, we just thank you that you are a God who will come and meet us right where we are. I pray that you would help us remove any of the obstacles, whether it's from this past week or or from a lifetime that, that might get in the way of us encountering you in this moment. God, meet us where we are, speak to our hearts, and I pray that we would walk out of here and we would never be the same. We do all of this because we love you, because you first loved us. This is for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so now that you know some of what I believe, uh, I think you should know a little bit about me. Now, if you've ever had the misfortune of spending any time with me, even for just a few moments, you might know that I am prone to silliness, right? And, and really, that's just a nice way of saying that I'm sarcastic, right? We all have these things in our life that we dress up a little bit, like, I don't really like that about myself, but no, it's just being silly. Okay, well, I'm a little sarcastic from time to time, all right? And, and it's important for you to know this because today I don't actually have a boatload of silliness and sarcasm for you. It's kind of sad, Right? I guess you could say I am speaking more from my weak spot rather than my sweet spot. And I know that might frighten you upon first listen. You're like currently preparing yourselves for 30 minutes of torturous boredom, right? As as I go on and nothing is entertaining or whatever, right? But know this, right? In my weakness, Christ is stronger. Like I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible, so we're good to go from that point forward, And you just need to know that about me. Today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at Romans 5 and 6. Uh, Romans 5 and 6. And so with that in mind, I've titled today's message with this, this ever uplifting like this, totally spiritually encouraging, pat yourself on the back title, The Seriousness of Sin. Doesn't that pump you up? Like you're jacked right now. Some of you almost jumped up, right? And, And if that doesn't pump you up, then it's probably because you're a little bit like me. Like whenever I I think of sin or I hear the word sin, 
right, or I start to talk about sin, I, I immediately start to recall like all of, all of that junk in my life. I start to relive it. The times I fell short, the times I messed up, the times I gave in, the times I gave up. Like whenever I hear the word sin, uh, I remember how inadequate my strategies for living can be. Like this world that I walk around in and the, the world that we walk around in, it's littered with reminders of all the times that, that I've fallen short of the person that God is calling me to be, the person that God has created me to be. Like, have you ever felt that? I'm sure you have. We don't need a show of hands on that one. Uh, but what I don't want to do this morning is spend all of our time wallowing in the history of our, our sin and our shame and our falling short. Like, how depressing would that be, Right? It's already snowing on Memorial Day weekend, and now we're going to wallow in our sin and shame, right? Like, that, that would not be cool. So, so we're going to move forward from that place. And, and as we move forward from that place, and we're going to discuss the seriousness of sin, because yes, we are still going to talk about it, uh, I think that we have to have a clear definition, a clear grasp uh, of what sin actually is so that we can move forward. And so I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks trying to craft a definition that, that wouldn't water down uh, what sin is, but that wouldn't like crush us beneath its weight either, and so that we could actually start to wrap our minds around it. And so here's what I have. Here's what sin would be. Sin is any time the heart behind our actions, thoughts, our motives, are our telling God that he's not good enough, whether we're consciously aware of our sin or not, and so then we turn to something else, away from God. Like sin is, is anything that introduces damage into our relationship with God. And kind of to wrap up the longest definition of sin in history, sin is an issue of the heart. It's not just our outward behavior, but choosing from our heart to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And so we go in the opposite direction that God would have us go. And ultimately, it's that sin that separates us from God. But but let me clarify one thing before we go even deeper with that. We are sinners, you see, not because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinful. We are sinners at our core. And, And I know, okay, now we've talked a lot about sin, right? And that's not really where I want us to start. Because right now you're like, cool, Chris. We're all sinners. Got it. Thank you. Right now I want to launch from somewhere else. Because if we stand in this place too long, like it just becomes hopeless. Right? We start to linger in this place and it becomes hopeless. And maybe you're already feeling that way. So with that in mind, let's move forward. I have four places that I want us to stop this morning that'll help us grasp the seriousness of sin and decipher what that actually means in our lives. And in regards to these four places I have for us and kind of the direction of this sermon, I just want to give some credit to Pastor David Platt who helped drive me in this direction. And so here are the four stops I have for us. The first place we're going to stop is that we cannot comprehend the greatness of our God. From there we'll move to the second place, the place we're probably least looking forward to, and that is that we are sinfully corrupt people. From there we will move to we have a scandalously merciful God, and we'll close with we have an indescribably urgent mission. And so we're going to begin with that first statement. We cannot comprehend the greatness of our God. And in order for us to glimpse the greatness of God, this greatness that we can't comprehend, 
I want to look at uh, what this Old Testament prophet Isaiah had to say. Now, we've already actually looked at what he had to say. We we read that, and I want to go there again so you can start turning to to Isaiah 6 if you want. And I just want to say I know that we're in a series on the book of Romans, right? But you gave me the microphone, and I'm going to do what most young people do and just do what I want. All right, and so we're going to start in Isaiah 6. I hope that's okay. And, and if you want to get really technical, right, Paul kind of touches on what we're going to talk about in Romans 1. So if we're supposed to be in Romans 5, right, like we're within range. We could reach out and touch Romans 1 that's kind of going to talk about what's in Isaiah 6. I hope that's okay with you. All right, so here we go. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. Follow along with me. Isaiah's talking. He says, It was in the year King Uzziah died. And I just want you to know, this is a cool fact, that year was 740 B.C. That's free of charge for you, right? So it was 740 B.C. that Isaiah saw the Lord. And here's how he describes the situation. He says, he was sitting on a lofty throne. He's talking about the Lord. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Like, I know we already tried to imagine this this morning, but I want you to do it again. Pretend this is the temple. Let's say this is it. And the Lord is here on his, his throne, and his robe is filling this whole place. Like, there's a robe filling this place. We're all covered underneath the robe. We can't see each other because we're covered in the Lord's robe. Like, just get that in your head. And as that's happening, he says, Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. Right, like there's this robe filling the room and there's all these six-winged angels, right? Like pretty wild. Here's what he says. They were calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. They're just saying it over and over and over again. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. Right, so remember, we're imagining this happening. There's a robe filling this place. Now it's shaking to its foundations. Then he goes on to say, and the building was filled with smoke. The entire building was filled with smoke. Would we not know that we are in the presence of God if that was happening? Right, and this, this is what blows me away. Here's what Isaiah says. He goes, then I said, this is his response to this. He goes, it's all over. He goes, I am doomed for I am a sinful man. Like, at the sight of such greatness, at the sight of God, his only response, he's like, it's all over. Right, we know he screamed that because there's an exclamation point. Like, he is like, it is all over. Look what is happening. This place is shaking. It's filled with smoke. There's angels. What is going on? He's like, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. His only response in the presence of God. And he says, I have filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Or like the only way to describe God, right, the Lord, is for these angels who, whose, names, whose name means that they literally burn with love for God. Like all they can do is call out over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy. They just keep saying it. What else is there to say to describe God? Right, and this cry of holy, it, it means that God is, is perfect. That he is completely right. Like everything he does is true and it's good and it's without equal. Like there's nothing that is equal to God. He is entirely set apart. Right, like think about that. There is no one like our God. 
which is kind of a challenge that I just gave. I like think about it, but we can't comprehend it. So we're all sitting here with our minds exploding, right? Like God is the creator of the galaxies, right? The, the grandeur of the mountains that we get, to, we get to live in a place where we look at them all the time, right? Like he's the maker of our beating hearts, our unrivaled uniqueness, each one of us. Like he is a God who knows each star, that graces the sky, he knows every star by name. Like he, he's, he's doing his thing, right? He doesn't look up at the sky. Suppose he looks down at the sky and, and he's looking at the stars, right? And he picks out a star and he's like, you star shall be called C5311 or two, whatever they name stars, right? And, and he remembers all of them. He remembers all of them. Like we simply cannot comprehend the greatness of our God because he is without equal. He is always right. He is always perfect. And this is simply a greatness that we cannot ever comprehend, try as we might. And so it is in light of such greatness then that it leads us to our second stop. The truth that, yes, we are sinfully corrupt people. And this truth is serious. Hence the title of the message, right? And so let's check out Romans 5. We're going to start in verse 12, where Paul, who's the author of Romans, he's going to remind us of the origin of sin. All right, so here's what he says. Romans 5, 12, he starts out by saying this. He says, when Adam, and we all know who Adam is, right? Like Eve's main squeeze, you know, Adam and Eve, those guys, right? So when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Like, that's pretty clear, right? Everyone sinned, and it led to to everyone's death. Like, that is serious stuff, isn't it? So let's jump ahead then to to verses 15 through 21, where we're going to find some good news alongside this continual reminder that we are sinful people, right? Because you can't have good news without bad news. Okay, so here's what it says, 15 through 21. Paul says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, right? Our judgment. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, 
Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's just make this clear, right? As much as we don't like to talk about sin or admit sin or think of ourselves as sinful, like the truth is that we've all sinned. And it's led to our separation from God. It's led to us falling short of his glorious standard. And this is why I want you to see sin is so serious. Sin is serious because of who we are sinning against. Like since our God is infinitely holy and great, since he is infinitely holy and great, when we sin against him, then we are infinitely guilty. Right? We're not just a little bit guilty when our sin is against an infinitely holy God. And so often we think things like, man, God, you're probably overdoing it a little bit. Right? We'll say things like, God, really? Hell for eternity, for sinning against you, for opposing you. Right? Infinitely guilty just for rejecting you and choosing our own way. Right, we say this because our view of sin is centered on what our finite human minds start to think. That's how they think, instead of what an incomprehensibly great God thinks. Our view of sin is man-centered, right, and how it impacts us with each other, not God-centered. Right, because again, we've got to remember that God is always right, and always perfect, and always without equal. And so this is why we as sinfully corrupt people are infinitely guilty for sinning against an infinitely holy god like sin is not to be taken lightly it is serious and none of us are without it but thankfully it's not the end of the story like if you left right now i'd feel so bad for you like you you're gonna miss out you're gonna walk out of here like this Right? We're going to get a walk out of here like this in a little bit. All right? So like th- this next part is what matters. It's not the end of the story. We've got to remember that we have a scandalously merciful God. A scandalously merciful God. So we're going to jump back to Romans 5, 8, where we're going to find more proof of this. I think it's allowed to like start in Romans 5, 12 and jump back. But if it's not, just don't tell anybody. We're going to check it out anyway because I do what I want. So here's what it says about God's scandalous mercy. This is good stuff. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I'm like, let me just say that again, right? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Like, do you understand why this is a scandal? We deserved to be separated from God forever, sinning against an infinitely holy God, left us infinitely guilty. But how does Romans 5, 8 start? But God. Like, when you see those two words, but God, things change in an instant. Right? God comes into that moment. He says, but God showed his great love for us, and he sent Jesus to take our place. That is mercy that is worthy of a scandal, right? That God didn't show his great love for some future version of you, right? Not some future 
version, but rather while you are still a sinner. God loves you now, right now, in the midst of your junk. Like, I, I want to say that again so that it rings true. God does not love some future version of you. He loves you right now. Right now. Like, God treated his perfect son, Jesus, as if he was the sinner. Right? And the only just penalty for sin is death. It says it at the end of, of Romans 6, right, in verse 23. Right, he, he says this, for the wages of sin is death. Like the cost of sin is always death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see this has like front page scandal, right? Written all over it. Because on our own, we were never supposed to have a chance. Like we were supposed to be separated, dead, guilty, condemned, whatever you want to call it. But, but God, right? But God sent Jesus to take our place. Like think of it like this. We, we're on death row, right? Like this is happening right now. We're saying 2012, this is happening and you're on death row, right? For a crime you committed that deserved death. Like it's going to happen. It's fair. It's going to happen that you didn't get acquitted and you weren't found innocent, Right? And then here comes this person. Right? Let's just first imagine it was a stranger that we knew nothing about. And this guy comes in and he's like, nah, you're good to go. I'm going to die for you. Like you were pardoned. Right? Somebody's taking your place. And then we start to think of that in light of the fact that it wasn't just some person who takes our place. Like it was God in human form. It was Jesus himself. It was the perfect son of God. Like, if that happened in 2012 and there was someone we knew they should die, that it should be over, and someone took their place, we would be screaming, scandal, that's not right, something's wrong there, that's off. Like, that would be all over the internet. That'd be all over the papers. We would know all about that. We'd be like, something's different there, what's going on? The truth that we are sinfully corrupt people stands with the truth that we have a scandalously merciful God because the moment that we begin to dismiss sin is the moment that we begin to diminish Jesus, right? The moment that we think sin isn't some big deal, right? It's not a big deal, then the love of Jesus is reduced to no big deal. Like your sins and my sins, all of them, past, present, and future, right? They were absorbed by Jesus Christ on the cross. Like this is the story for those of us who've made God the center of our lives. And if that's what you choose to do too, then it's going to be your story as well, right? Like Jesus, he, he was on the cross. He died on the cross. All the wrath of God towards your sin was placed on Jesus and Jesus absorbs it, right? And then in a scandalous exchange, he gives to us his righteousness, so that when God sees us, he no longer sees the sinner, he sees Jesus himself. Like Jesus obeys the law completely. He never sins, ever. And instead, he gives to you and me his righteousness, and he takes from us the wrath, the death, the separation that was meant for us as the price for our sin. Like that is mind-blowing. 
Like we can't walk, walk around, right, with the, this limp, with this sin-fueled swagger anymore. Like we have a scandalously merciful God. And when we embrace the weight of our sin, then we are free to embrace the scandalous mercy of our Savior. And so like to put that on, on, a, on a practical level as well, like our efforts to identify then and, and remove sin can be compared to the story of a sculptor who's chipping away at an enormous block of stone. Right, so we've got this sculptor, and he's chipping away at this enormous block of stone. It might look something like this. I don't know. I don't sculpt. Right? And he's, he's chipping away. He's chipping away. And here comes this guy, and he's like, what is it that you're sculpting? And the sculptor replies, well, I'm sculpting an elephant. Right? And the guy's like, an elephant? Well, how, how, do, you, how do you sculpt an elephant? The sculptor considers the question for a second, and then he says, well, actually, it's, it's very simple, really. You just chip away anything that doesn't look like an elephant, right? And we're doing the same thing when we start chipping away sins from our lives. Our goal is, with God's help, with the scandalous mercy of God, to chip away, to bring before him anything that doesn't just reflect the holy character of God. Like we're chipping it away with the purpose of more fully and maturely reflecting God's way of life. And so for you, you don't have to have it all figured out. Like you don't have to be a certain level of good enough to say yes to this invitation that God is extending to us. Like, you, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to follow all these certain steps. Like, he is just saying, he's just saying, come as you are. Like, that's the invitation you're getting right now. Come as you are. Like, you and your life, like, that is the purpose behind this scandal. God loves you that much. And as always then, once we hear that, once we, once we start to grasp that, right, the question becomes, how will you respond? Like, how will you respond to the biggest scandal to ever hit planet Earth? Like, how will you respond to that? A scandal that's centered on God making a way for you to get to Him. A scandal founded on a God who loves you enough to send Jesus to take your place. How will you respond to such scandalous mercy and incomprehensible greatness of our God? How will you respond? Romans 6 concludes, we already looked at it once, but it concludes with Paul telling us that the offer of salvation, like of new life, is a free gift from God. And this is an offer extended to all. Like you have been offered the forgiveness of your sins and the divine love of God, regardless of your background or your age or your position. Like you've been offered that. But you and I, we must submit to it. We must ask for mercy lest we continue moving in the opposite direction then of God. Like to just baseline simplify it. Like you can choose to reject it, or you can choose to accept it. The question is, how will you respond? So you can go ahead and you can just put your stuff aside right now.
We're going we're gonna to go into a time where you can just find a posture of prayer, maybe bow, bow your head, close your eyes, and you can take this time right now to think about how you respond to such an offer as that. Like, like right now, give God your attention. What does that look like for you? This moment is between you and God. You can have this moment, and I'll, I'll continue closing us here in a second. As you're as you're doing that, I just want to say if you're if you're here today and God is already the center of all you are, he has your life, then I want you to take this time now to dwell on the massiveness of Christ's love and forgiveness. I want you to bring whatever sin you need to bring before him and embrace that life-changing love of Jesus as you just sit in awe of that love. And as as you dwell in that moment, I challenge you to prepare your life for the truth that we have an indescribably urgent mission. Like, we simply just cannot hold this good news. And what would that look like for your life? And then maybe, if that's not you today, if, if, you're, if you're not in that place, if you're, if you're holding back or you're running from God or you're pushing him aside or you've wanted nothing to do with him, then I ask you this question. Like, why are you here? Like, really, at the deepest part, at the core of who you are, why are you here? Like, yes, I get it. A friend maybe invited you or a family member wanted you to come. Right, or maybe there was nothing else to do because it just kept raining. Like, I get that. Those might be some of the reasons that you're here. But is it possible that although those things are partially true, that God might be using those things to draw you to himself, to woo you to himself? Because I believe with every fiber of my being, the reality that you're here today is a simple piece of evidence of God's pursuit and love for you. Will you believe that or will you keep running from it? Like, why can't today be the day that everything in your life changes? The day you're set free from the power of sin in your life and you're given new life in Jesus. Why can't today be the day that you begin to follow him? And if that's you and then you're like, yeah, that's where I'm at today. I I want to accept God's free gift. I want in on that. Like that theme of a gift runs all through Romans 5 and 6. God offers this gift over and over and over again. And if that's you, then you can just pray this prayer with me in the quiet of your own heart. Like this is deeply personal between you and God. And it could go something like this. God, today I see the seriousness of my sin. And it separates me from you. Forgive me for choosing my own way and rejecting you. Thank you for loving me with the scandalous mercy as you sent Jesus to take my place. Today I choose you and give you control. Today, God, 
my life is yours. And if you just said those words in your heart, I want you to know there is nothing in this world that carries more weight than that decision. Like it's such a big and meaningful decision that we ask that you share that with us so that, that we can celebrate that with you. And now most, most people's eyes are still closed and, and people aren't looking around. But I ask that if that was you today, would you be so bold as to just slip up your hand and make eye contact with me saying, yeah, I'm stepping into a brand new life today. You can do that now. God, we just thank you that you are a God who meets us right where we are. We thank you that, that, that you would come and you would send your son to take on sin for us so that when you look at us, God, you see Jesus himself. I thank you that, that, that you are in fact a God that, that we cannot comprehend your greatness. And yes, there's truth that we are sinful people, but you are a God whose scandalous mercy has set us free. And so I pray, God, that we wouldn't let that just settle in our heads, but that it would give us a heart of action and that when we walk out of here this morning, we would understand the truth that we have an indescribably urgent mission. That there is so much more at stake, God, and there is so much good news waiting for those who have not yet heard it. Give us courage, give us boldness to be the people that you've called us and created us to be. We love you, we do all of this for you and it's your name we pray, amen.